Most of you know that I grew up in North Carolina. And some of you know that I also attended the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Now, that was convenient for me because I grew up a North Carolina Tar Heels fan. And basketball in North Carolina was as big a deal as football is in Georgia. And so we had lots of debates among the state fans and Duke fans and Wake Forest fans and North Carolina fans as to which team was the best. Now, I graduated in 1985, and that gave me the opportunity to be in Chapel Hill during the careers of some very elite basketball players and to see one national championship won and to celebrate that at the school. On that national championship team were five starters, Jimmy Black, Matt Doherty, and then three who are more well-known, Sam Perkins, James Worthy, and the most famous among those, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan went on to have the, all three had good careers, but Michael Jordan went on to have the career that has left the, I guess, the biggest mark in the basketball world, in the sports world, and also in our culture. Michael Jordan went on to the NBA after winning a national championship. He won six NBA championships, five MVP awards, and set 10 scoring records. Nike and Gatorade were not ignorant. They hitched their future to his star, and they all got rich, boatloads of money. Now, a guy like Michael Jordan, you look at him and you admire him for what he's able to do on the basketball court and what he's able to achieve in life. Quite admittedly, he's had ups and downs in his personal life, challenges in his personal life. And yet, he's looked at as a, a role model. So he's looked at as someone who's achieved great things. He's looked at someone whose life that you might want to emulate if you're a basketball player. If you want to just get a taste of the level of his popularity, Gatorade struck on it when they did this commercial. Sometimes I dream that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. Lots of people wanted to be like Mike and drink lots of Gatorade, but none of them were like him, okay? Now, you probably noted a couple of things in there. If you know Michael, if you know what Michael Jordan looks like now, uh, you recognize he was much younger then, kind of like some of you were in the pictures that are out there. You also noticed that that Gatorade bottle is awfully fat. By the way, it was made out of glass back then, so things things have changed a lot, but Gatorade caught on to something, that this was a likable figure who was very talented, had a great camera presence, 
And therefore, they hit on this theme, I want to be like Mike. And it took off. And they sold lots of Gatorade because of it. There are, even in our time, cultural icons, cultural idols, things, people that, that we look at. And as a matter of fact, it, it's, it's amazing if you go into the grocery stores and you look at the, the magazine sections, a lot of those deal with celebrities, you know, popular cultural icons. You turn on the TV where they used to have news and now they're entertainment tonight and shows like that, that, that focus on the lives of celebrities. Or if you, some of the most popular websites are, are, are things like TMZ, which focus on the lives of celebrities. And I got to tell you, people in the United States probably know about more about Miley Cyrus and Kim Kardashian and Kanye West than they do about Jesus Christ. These cultural icons have have stuck with us, have become role models, regardless of their level of ethics or, or lack of ethics. They are the role models for so many. As believers, we need to be careful whom it is that we emulate, whom we copy in life, who our role models are, and who the role models for our children are. We need to be really careful. The Apostle Paul recognized that he was kind of a celebrity in churches. People knew Paul. But this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That is significant. He didn't just say, hey, listen, just copy my life. He said, no. And as far as my life is lived in consistent consistency with the, with the truth of who Jesus is, then you can follow my example. I would say the same thing about my life. Where you see Jesus reflected in my life, follow that example. But where you see it's not reflected, please don't follow. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Jesus sets the pace for us. And that's why in our vision statement, part of it reads like this. Grace Fellowship is a community of faith where each person becomes more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. Why? Because he is our Savior and he is our role model. He is the example uh, that, that... is set out before us to follow him. Now that means more than just taking that I want to be like Mike song and changing it to I want to be like Jesus. Okay? And it also means more than wearing a WWJD bracelet. So what does it mean? I like for us to camp a little while just in one verse of scripture this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. You may want to turn there, depending on your translation, you might read a little differently, but we want, to, we want to spend a few minutes in this verse this morning trying to, to really probe down, to, to, to dissect it a little bit, to understand it a little bit more so that we can be more like Christ. So what does this mean for us? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And this is, this is what we read. And we all 
speaking to believers, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's think about that this morning. This verse should be especially exciting to those of you who feel like you are right now in a spiritual rut. Where you feel like I'm just spinning my wheels spiritually, I'm not getting anywhere. Look at this verse. I always, listen, always believe God's revealed truth. Be suspect of your feelings. Okay? You may feel that you're in a spiritual rut, but what is God doing right now? You're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, and it's the Lord that's doing it. It's the Lord's work. It's a spiritual work in you. So let's look at this. First of all, he says, with unveiled faces. Now, we look at that, and if we're not familiar with the context, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to throw us off a little bit because none of us wear veils, right? What's he talking about? Something that we see happening in a Muslim country over there where they make the women wear veils. What is this? Well, it is a reference back to something that took place in the Exodus with a guy named Moses who would go into the presence of God and then come back out. Now, I w- and so just to help, let's, let's look for a minute in Exodus chapter 34 for a couple of verses here to get the context of this. Whenever he, that is Moses, entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Okay, what would happen with Moses is God, his glory was just, it just radiated from him. So simply being in the presence of God, Moses began to reflect that glory. Some of that glory from God began to shine off of Moses. Now, we, we don't have anything that kind of works like this. Probably the, the you know, I'm trying to, trying to think of an example, and I can only think of bad examples. We, for instance, we went to a Braves game this summer, and one of the things I want to do is get a new Braves cap. So I began to try on Braves caps, okay? And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that added a lot of glory to me, but I began to try on those Braves caps. One of the things, I picked up one and put it on, and I, I took it off, and the sensor, somebody evidently tried to take the sensor off of it, so that yellow dye was all over my hands. And I'm thinking, they're going to think I tried to steal this. Uh, and then I kept being worried that, is my head yellow? Because there's not a lot of hair there to catch it. And I, you know, I couldn't wash it off. It didn't want to come off because I'd been exposed to that yellow dye. Well, when Moses went into the presence of God, the glory of God began to, it, it just got all over Moses so that he would shine when he went out in front of other people. And so he put the veil on his face so that the people wouldn't look directly at that glory because quite honestly, they were scared of God. And rightly so. And so the, the, when, the, when the glory faded, then the veil could come off. Now, what it says for us is we with unveiled faces enter into the Lord's presence. Because of what Jesus has done for us, there is no barrier between us and God. He invites us to come in his presence. 
we boldly approach the throne of grace. What an awesome thing. That's a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that is your privilege. That is your invitation. God says, come in. I want you in my presence. I want you to be with me. I want you to connect with me. Come in. And with unveiled faces, we go into his presence. But this is what's neat. Because when we go out of God's presence, because we have been in his presence, because we have contemplated his glory, because we have have allowed the Holy Spirit to begin this work in us, when we leave God's presence, our lives are a little bit different, but we don't put a veil on it to go out into the world. We not only are in the Lord's presence with an unveiled face, we exit the Lord's presence with an unveiled face so that the glory that we have been exposed to will the people will be able to see it, notice it. Our lives are are different because we spent time in the Lord's presence. What happens in the Lord's presence? He says that we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. In other words, when you spend time in the presence of the Lord, and let let me go ahead and put in a little caveat here, a little asterisk here, because you need to hear this. If you right now are saying, I am stuck in spiritual neutral. One of two things are likely the culprit. Okay? And I'm not going to say Satan's one of them, although he's working against you. I'm going to say one or two things that you're responsible for are likely taking place. Number one, you're not spending time with God. Now, I'm not being accusatory here. I'm not trying to fuss at anybody. I just want to be honest with you. If you want to be transformed, if you want to be changed from the inside out, you need to spend time in God's Word. You need to spend time alone with God. I know you're busy. I know there are lots of demands on your life. I know that sometimes reading the Bible gets to be boring because you don't always understand it, and you run into phrases like unveiled face, and you go, well, what's that all about? And I understand that. I also understand that some of you Uh, when you pray, you fall asleep. Now, I could recommend that perhaps you find another time other than when you're laying in bed to pray. That might help. But spend some time with God. That's one thing. The other thing is you need to spend time serving. Now, that's not in the passage, so this is a freebie, okay? You need to spend time. Once you've poured it in, you need to spend time pouring it out. And I always use, it's a beautiful picture because it's right there in the Middle East. You can look at it on any map. The waters that pour down from the mountains run into the Sea of Galilee, which is still, even today, teeming with fish. It's alive. It's a living body of water. It runs down the Jordan River, and then it goes into the Dead Sea. Now, if you go down the Dead Sea, yes, you'll find microorganisms, but you will, if you try to fish down there, all you're going to do is get a hook wet. I don't care what kind of bait you use. Take your favorite bait. It's not going to matter. Why? Because there's so many minerals, there's so much salt in the Dead Sea that life, fish, they can't live there. Now, why? It's the same water. The same water flows from the mountains through the Sea of Galilee down into the Jordan River and into the Dead Sea. Why in the world is the Dead Sea dead? Simple answer. It has no outlet. The water flows in, but it doesn't flow out, so it just evaporates and it gets saltier and more minerals all the time. If the water flowed through, it too would have life. 
And so one of two things are probably true in your life if you're stuck in spiritual neutral. You're either not spending time with God, alone with God, letting God pour into you, or you're not spending time in the world serving other people so that what's been poured into you can pour out. Okay, that's a freebie. Let's get back to this because we got a lot of ground to cover. So people will know that we've spent time in the Lord's presence. Why? Because our priorities are changing. The things that we once were really, really, really thought were important, now those things are less important and God's things are more important. Our priorities change. What else changes? Our speech changes. Now think back. Some of you, uh, before you became believers, your language was pretty salty, okay? Your language was, was kind of spicy. But now it, it began to bother you, okay? Before it might have bothered your wife or it might have bothered some of your friends, but now it bothers you. And so you begin to change it, so your speech changes. Guess what? People will notice that. If you stop using some of the words you did use, what else changes? Your attitude changes. Your whole attitude about life. You, 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 you start reflecting joy. You start reflecting hope. There's, there's just something that's taken place in me that's changed me, and I'm just not the same person anymore. Your life changes. Your family life changes. The way you relate to people. These things change. And, and here's what happens when we spend time in God's presence. We may not come out glowing like a light bulb. Okay? But people know that we've been in God's presence. People know that we've spent time with God because we are being changed. Our sin not only becomes more apparent to us, it becomes more repugnant to us. We want to leave that behind and we want to begin to say, hey, listen, how can I be more like Jesus every day in my attitude and my actions? And we change we change not because someone has come up and said, hey, listen, I got, a, I got a list of rules for you. We change because our heart changes. We change from the inside out. We change because we want to change because we had a God who loves us and a God whom we love. Let me ask you, men and women who have had marriages where you have been faithful all the way through to your spouse. Did you simply do that because there was a ceremony? Because at some point you made a promise to be faithful. Or did you do that because you loved your spouse and you knew that if I did this, it would be the ultimate act of disrespect and Show no love at all. When you love someone, you don't want to hurt someone. When you love someone, you want to make them happy. When you love someone, you want to have a good relationship with them. And this is a thing about the Christian life that so many people get wrong. They think it's about a list of rules, and it's not about a list of rules. It's about a relationship that God wants to have with us. When we know how much God loves us, when we can begin to fathom, and the only way you can do this is spending time with God and let him get it into you, pour it into you over and over and over again because the world is lying to you and Satan is lying to you and people will lie to you. But if you go to God, he'll tell you the truth. 
and you begin to think about who God is and what God did for you, and you begin to contemplate on the cross, and you begin to, to think about the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, and you begin to let that get into you, let me tell you what, that will change your life. It'll change your attitude. It'll change the way you talk, the way you act. It'll change everything about your life. And notice, this transformation is not something we do. It's something that's done to us. This is God's work. This is the Holy Spirit working in us to change us from the inside out. This is God's design for us to be more like Jesus. And it's God's desire for us. It is what we were created to be. And if you want to find true joy and contentment in life, be in sync. Be in sync with Jesus. Track right along with Jesus. And it'll change you. Now this process, this change, of course, is a process. It says with ever-increasing glory or from glory to glory. And, and, and day by day, listen, sometimes it takes a long time to change. Change a habit, change an attitude. You may have someone that you feel really strongly negatively about someone. In other words, you hate somebody. You literally hate somebody. And we've seen this happen more than once. And some of the worst situations that someone comes out of, and they literally hate the person who hurt them, turn around so that they can actually forgive that person and love them, not necessarily invite them back into their lives to hurt them again, but to be able to get to the point of forgiveness. You don't do that. I don't care how much willpower you have, but God can do it in you. God can and will change your life. Now, we're not there yet. And this is what John wrote in 1 John 3, 2. Cool verses, verse here. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, listen, you're not there yet. What we will be, it's not been fully revealed. We're, we're on our way. We're getting closer, but we're not there yet. And the Bible says that we inwardly groan until this earthly tent that we live in is packed up and we get to move to glory. That there's something in us that says, this ain't right. This world's messed up. I'm messed up. But I know that God has a home for me because he's promised it. Remember, believe truth, not what you feel. I know God has a home for me. I know that there is a place where there's no tears and no sorrow and no sickness. I know that. I believe that. I know that, my, that these infirmities that I have in this body, this pain I feel in the body, this weakness that I have in my body, I know that God has said there's a new home and a new body and a new forever for me. I know that. I believe that, I trust that, I cling to that, and I know that this world right now is not what it ought to be. That's why you wake up in the morning and your back hurts. Let me tell you something, there's coming a time when ain't nothing going to hurt, okay? That's why when you experience times of loss and grief, that tear rolls down your cheek, there is coming a time when there are no more tears. Now, we're not there yet, but it's coming. 
God's moving us in that direction. God's changing us. And so even though we see our lives changing, we see more of Christ being produced in our lives, in our lives, we know inwardly we say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Make it right. Make it right. All right. Well, let, let, I want to move on because I've got a few things I want to I give you. You're probably saying, well, gosh, you had not even got to the other half of the sheet yet. We're getting ready to get there. Okay. If we're to become more like Jesus daily in attitude and action, what does that look like? And I want to go ahead and thank ahead of time Dr. John Stott, whom I do not know, but I've read a lot of his stuff. In 2007... He, wrote a, he preached a message, and I'm going to steal his points, but I'm not stealing them because I'm giving him credit for it. Okay. This is what he said, and I couldn't say it any better, so I'm just going to tell you what he said. First of all, we're called to be like Christ in his incarnation. Now, I know that's a 10-cent theology word. Some of you know what it means. Some of you don't know what it means. Incarnation basically means in the flesh. It means Jesus came, God came to us in flesh, in he, as one of us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we read, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross, Jesus humbled himself, he emptied himself, he came to us as one of us. And Jesus never compromised the integrity of who he was, and yet he hung around with tax collectors, prostitutes, and various and sundry sinners. I want to tell you that we, the body of Christ, and we are, we, the body of Christ, live in this world. We're not to be like the world, but we are in the world. And we are not to compromise our integrity in the world. We are to be the body of Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ. We are to do the work of Christ because we are the body. And so how do we be like Christ? We are like Christ in the incarnation. We take Jesus to a broken and fallen world. How are we to be like Jesus? We're to be like Christ also in his service. As Jesus prepared the Last Supper with his disciples, he did something that literally blew their minds. It was completely outside their concept of what was acceptable. And this is what we read in John's Gospel, 13th chapter. Now I, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set before you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus said, I came. I came to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. I came to serve. If we're going to model Christ for the world, if we're going to reflect the glory of Christ in the world, it will not be done through high steeples and beautiful, colorful vestments. 
If we are going to win the world for Jesus Christ and reflect the glory of Christ to the world, it will most often happen in our humble service. It may not be washing feet, but you know what? It might be. I remember going to visit uh, a senior adult member in our church. And he told me, this was in a previous church. He told me that morning that one of the church members came by. They came by typically on a real regular basis for this. And the point of it was simply to come by to wash his feet, to clip his toenails, and to put moisturizer on his feet because he was he couldn't reach him. He couldn't do it. There was no fanfare associated with it. There was no you know, recognition in the church bulletin or newsletter. She just did it. What a reflection of the attitude of Christ. Because honestly, you know what honestly I'm thinking? I'm, I'm thinking two things. Wow, what a servant. And number two, I don't want to do that. I do not want to do that. That was my thinking. And you need to ask yourself, what is it that I say, I don't want to do that? And when we say no, do we literally say to the world, I love you but only this much? Christ loves you but only this much. If we're going to be like Christ, we will need to be like Christ in his humble service. If We're called to be like Christ also in his love. We're called to be like Christ in his love. Just a couple of, couple of portions of scripture here. John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul writes, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Someone said it was not nails that held Jesus to the cross, but his love for us. I think that's true. Those nails were just pieces of metal. They were nothing to the King of kings and Lord of lords. But he allowed himself to hang there and die and to pay the price for your sins and for mine. He did it out of love. And if we are going to be like Christ, be more like Jesus daily in attitude and action, then what's going to have to be seen in our lives is love. We've got to love one another, and we've got to love people outside the walls of this church. It doesn't mean we have to love what they do or accept what they do, but we love them. We need to be like Christ in his love. If we're called to be like Christ, we're also called to be like him in his patient endurance. Let me just give you one simple word for patient endurance. Suffering. Suffering. 1 Peter 2, 21. Christ suffered for you. That's enough right there. 
Christ suffered for you. It might be what you want to underline, circle, and meditate on this week. Christ suffered for you. But he did it leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus warned us that in this world we would have trouble. And he was right. Some of the trouble we bring on ourselves, don't we? How many times do you suffer self-inflicted wounds? Things you've said, things you've done, things you didn't say, things you didn't do. The bridges that you've burned. Relationships you've burned. Sometimes we suffer because of stuff we've done. But sometimes we suffer simply because this world is messed up. This is a broken and fallen world filled with broken and fallen people. And there's lots of suffering. But when we suffer for Christ's sake, it takes it to a whole new level. If you don't follow what's taking place in the Middle East with ISIS moving into territories and completely wiping out Christian populations. Men, women, children. If you don't follow that, if you don't see that, pay some attention to that. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. These are, when, when, when there's this image of the martyrs in heaven, they're among them. They're there. Oh, yeah, somebody might tease you because you're a Christian or tease you when you stop to, to uh, pray before a meal or, or make fun of you because you don't use the same words they do or drink the same amount they do or, or go and do the things that they do. Yes, oh, okay, poor you. I'm sorry. I mean, it's serious. When it's your life, it's serious. But let's get this thing grounded, folks. You and I don't suffer much for Jesus question is are we willing to one of the reasons we don't suffer much for jesus is because we don't step out much for jesus we don't sacrifice much in his name some of us are like those rabbit hole christians who run from one christian group to another christian group to another christian group as fast as we can hoping we don't run into any lost people we're not called to be like that we're called to Share Jesus, the love of Christ, the message of Christ, the good news of Christ. We're called to serve others, even in ways that are humbling to us. And we're called to suffer on his behalf. I think one day that suffering here in this nation is going to be far worse, far more than it is right now. But you and I must be willing to stand for Christ and to pay the price to be faithful to Christ and to identify ourselves with Christ. He suffered for us and gave us an example to follow. We're also called to be like Christ in his mission. We're called to be like Christ in his mission. After the resurrection, Jesus told his his disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. 
you are all missionaries. Maybe there hasn't been a ceremony for you. Maybe there hasn't been a commissioning service for you. Maybe you don't have your marching orders to go to Siberia, but you're all missionaries. You have been reconciled to God through Christ and have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. You're given that message. Jesus' message is your message. Jesus' mission is your mission. And yes, there are lots of reasons for not doing it. But there's only one reason worth doing it. And that is because apart from Christ, there is no hope. When you carry Christ into a situation, you bring hope. What would Jesus do? How many of you wore one of those WJD bracelets at some point or had a bumper sticker or something like that? Okay, a number of you did. But what would Jesus do? Literally, if, if, if I want to be more like Jesus daily in my attitude and actions, how? What would he do? What's job one? And this is it. He would pay whatever the price to bring people into a right relationship with the Father. It's job one. It's job one. Whatever the price, whatever it costs, to bring people into a right relationship with the Father. If we want to be more like Jesus, this has to be our call. Whatever the cost, whatever the price, whatever the service, whatever the suffering, whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. And our church has a mission statement that flows from Jesus' mission, and it reads, Grace Fellowship exists to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why we're here. But it only happens when there are a group of people who believe in Jesus and are growing in that belief, who are connected with the church in relationships, like small group relationships, who are connected with each other for support, for encouragement, for, for teaching, for accountability. And when there are people who are committed to becoming more like Jesus daily in their attitudes and actions, as we get up in the morning, our prayer can simply be, God, I want to be more like Jesus today. Wherever I go, I want to take Jesus with me today. I want to reflect Jesus today in this world. It's what I want for your life. It's what I want for my life. It's what I want for our church. And it's what this world desperately needs. And so my blessing on you today is in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, may you reflect God's glory. May you reflect the character of Jesus. And may you show his love to a broken, fallen, confused, hopeless world who needs to know that there's a God who loves them and gave his son for them. Amen.
Folks, I don't want to be like Mike. Yes, I'd love to be able to dunk a basketball. I want to be like Jesus. And I want you to be like him too.